Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. How many of you like chocolate? You like chocolate? All right, you'll know. Somebody have two hands up. Hallelujah, filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You'll know why I asked that in a few minutes. How many of you live in Charlotte? You have a Charlotte address. Can I see your hand? How about Huntersville? You have a Huntersville address. How about Concord? How many of you live in Concord? Mooresville? Cornelius? Davidson, who am I missing? Uh, Seth Howard, what, is it uh, Denver, Denver, Colorado? No, Denver, North Carolina. How many of you live in Denver? How many of you live in Thessalonica? I didn't think any of you did. Now, if you lived in Thessalonica, you would be a pretty new Christian. You would be someone that the Apostle Paul had come and visited your city just probably a few weeks ago and spent maybe a month or two there. He had left Philippi and come to your city and preached the gospel, and a lot of people got saved. Many of you who were Jewish people got saved, and many uh, God-fearing Greeks became followers of Christ, and also a lot of prominent women. All of that is in Acts chapter 17. On Paul's second missionary journey, he came to this city, Thessalonica, and people were saved and a church was born. But a lot of the Jewish people did not like that. And so it says in Acts 17 that they stirred up some bad characters and they caused a riot. And the believers in Thessalonica, if you were there, you would have been the one saying, hey, Paul, and so I was, you, you guys need to go. And so at night, you, you pushed him away to save his life. And he went down to Berea and then ultimately to Athens. And after Athens, he went to Corinth. And at Corinth, we believe, he penned the letter that we have in our Bible as First Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible with you or a phone or a tablet, some device, and you want to follow along, I invite your attention there. We're doing this series, Living Letters, and this was one of the very first, maybe the first, that Paul wrote. And we're going to look at it this morning. They saw Paul get persecuted right in front of their eyes. In fact, they left him. And then they got persecuted. And Paul, of course, was wondering, oh my goodness, I wonder if because they're being persecuted, will they, will they not keep their faith? And so he sent Timothy to find out about that. And then Timothy came back with a very encouraging report that indeed, uh, they were still going strong. And so Paul wrote them this letter to, to encourage them to keep going and keep living to please God, especially, especially in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return for them. So there are these two very, very important themes that run all the way through the letter of First Thessalonians. And one of them is disciple-making. 
disciple making. It's the, it's the whole process by which a person who doesn't live, I mean, they may be living physically, but they're not living spiritually. They trust Christ. That's the first step in disciple making. Live, right? They come to Christ and then they grow. They start to know more about Christ. They learn about him. They grow in their faith. And then they themselves go, <laughs> live, grow, go. That's our strategy here. They go make disciples of others. So there's a lot in here in this letter about disciple making. And I'm going to read it to you. We don't often do that. We don't often read a whole letter. But we're going to this morning. And let the power of the word of God and the beauty of the word of God soak in. And when you hear something about disciple making, not necessarily that word, Something about people coming to faith and growing and then going and how Paul might have been involved with it. And I want you to raise your right hand. Okay. And my trusty assistant back there, Corey, has some chocolate to deliver to the one who raises their right hand at the appropriate time. And then when you hear Paul talk about the return of Jesus Christ or the second coming. You know, he came once, he came to Bethlehem. That was his first coming. He was born, he lived as a human, although he was fully God at the same time. He lived his life, he died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried, he rose again, and then he promised, I'm coming back. I'm coming back again. And that, when he comes back, his second coming or his return is when he is going to set up his Absolute and complete and unmitigated rule. That's what we call the kingdom of God. That's what we call heaven. When you hear something in this letter about the second coming, then I want you to raise your left hand. Okay? The right hand is for disciple making. The left hand is for the return of Christ. And again, Corey is going to be distributing some chocolate. Not to everybody but maybe to the first one. So let us hear the word of God. Normally we have a lot on the screen, but it is, I don't want to put this on the screen. I want, I want you to hear this. Obviously, some of you will follow along on your own. I'm reading out of the NIV. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers. Did somebody raise their hand? Okay, go ahead. You, there, there is. I'll get there in just one second. You can wait till I pause, but, but that's okay. All the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, 
The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues from the coming wrath. Right? We got right hands up and left hands up, right? What's the right hand up on disciple making? They were saved, they became a model, and the message went out. So, yeah, you can distribute if you had. I don't know. Somebody over here got that one? Who, who got the first one? Jennifer Martin. And the return of Christ, of course, did you see what he said there? That it was at the very, they were converted and they were saved to do what? To wait for his return from heaven. That was right at the beginning of their Christian life. Well, let's pick up in chapter 2. Some of you didn't think you were going to get candy after all, did you? That, 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 That was really true. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, nor from you, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, Our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We should have had some right hands raised up. I'm reading. Did we have some right hands raised up? Okay. Steve Cartman got there. All of that section there was about how Paul sought to please God through humble, hardworking, and caring ministry. He compared himself to like a nursing mother. That's how tender his discipleship relationship with these people was. And and like a father encourages and cares and helps. Did, did you see that? You see, that's, that's disciple making, caring for people like that. And it didn't use the word heaven, but he did say that God calls believers into his kingdom and glory right there in verse 12. They, they were dealing as a father does, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And when he returns, 
that's when we're going to fully experience his kingdom and his glory. So that's the return of Christ. Verse 13. And we also thank God continually. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is. The word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly, I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Now, this one is a little tricky because in the same passage, you have both. <laughs> you have the disciples who Paul says will be hope, joy, and crown when? When Jesus returns. Paul invested in them. He invested his life in them so much, and he longed to see them, and he wanted to help them, and he... He was trying to give them a picture of how much they meant to him. And he said, like, when we stand before Christ, I don't, Paul's not interested in the physical crown and the external rewards. It's, it's going to be looking around seeing other people that God has used you to share the gospel with and to build into their lives. When Jesus comes, that's going to be the crown and the reward. So he says in chapter 3, so when we could stand it no longer... We thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again 
and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul said that spiritual steadfastness of disciples is our very life. He said, now we live when we hear these good things about you. Did somebody, did we get some people on that one? And as a result, he comes and prays. Actually, because he cared about that so much, look how he prayed for them as we pick it up in verse 11. Now may our God and Father, all right, everybody should be able to answer when this comes. Everybody's going to raise their left hand on this one. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes. With all his holy ones. <laughs> all right, we don't have enough chocolate for all those people. But it was a prayer for blamelessness when the Lord Jesus comes. Chapter 4, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you on how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your own hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. I saw a hand over here and indeed... Paul was urging the disciples to live in order to please God in these first 12 verses of chapter 4. That's disciple-making. You come along beside people that have become Christians, and you talk about real practical things, like in this case, sexual immorality and sexual purity. And you talk about things like loving other brothers and sisters in Christ. And you talk about... in. Seemingly there was a problem with maybe some not working and being busybodies or in that culture and stuff. And you, he, you talk about the practical ways that our faith affects our life. Some of those believers had passed away. Maybe some of them had passed away under persecution. 
And there was a natural, naturally a question like, well, what they're wondering, well, what's going to happen to them? So he says in verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. I think I saw a right hand, but left hand is the return of Christ. (laughs) According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The promised return of Christ encourages us. He rose from the dead. He's coming back. And the dead in Christ and the living in Christ are going to join together and be with him forever. I don't know anything that encourages me any more than that. Now, brothers and sisters, chapter 5, about times and dates. We do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. So there it is. Don't be surprised about this day of the Lord. Don't be surprised about it, but what should you do? Keep growing and serving. Keep growing and serving. He, he gives all kind of ways to do that beginning in verse 5. You're all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. 
Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And then Paul, as he usually does, closes with a benediction. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He prays for their sanctification, their whole soul and body will be held where? At the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Read all God's people with a holy kiss. Clearly that was written pre-COVID. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And all God's people said, Amen. There are two themes that run all through this letter. And I believe there's an important link between disciple making and the return of Jesus Christ. And that's why at the top of your outline sheet there, we have summarized God's word in this way. Preparing people for the coming of Jesus Christ is the essence of disciple making. This is what we're all about. We introduce people to Christ. We help them grow. We train them to go help make other disciples. And what are we doing? We're doing it all in light of the fact that Christ is coming back. And we're trying to prepare a people for him. We're not really preparing them for themselves. We're preparing ourselves and them for him. That's the essence of disciple making. So... Very quickly, let me give you four reasons why discipling people in light of the coming of Christ matters so much. Number one, because turning from idols to serve God and wait for Jesus' coming is the beginning of the Christian life. We go back to chapter one. Paul is amazed. You know, this this letter has a really different tone than the letter we started with last week, Galatians. Galatians was really a polemic letter, and it was really a lot of doctrine, and it was Paul was warning them about the dangers. This this is a really encouraging letter, and things are going well with the Thessalonians. And he and he talks about their faith and how all through the world people were talking about it. And he he said, as he's describing all of this. These people tell how you, Thessalonians, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from the coming wrath. That's where salvation starts. People put their faith in Christ. They turn from idols to put their faith in Christ and to wait for Jesus. Number two. Seeing God work in the people to whom we minister will bring great joy when Jesus returns. Paul asked them in verse 19 and 20 of chapter 2, What is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. That's true joy when you see God work in people. Number three, the third reason why discipling people in light of the return 
of Christ matters so much is because preparing people to be blameless at the return of Christ is a worthy focus for living. Everybody has a focus. Everybody lives for something. Everybody is driven driven by something or some things, right? Here's the most worthy thing to be driven by. Making disciples for Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing in life. In fact, Paul said in verse 8 of chapter 3, Now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. How would you answer that? When can you say, man, I'm really living? Is it when you have that great vacation, you get a promotion at work? When life is going well? Hopefully you, if you're a follower of Jesus, well, first of all, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we hope you will really live by opening your heart to Jesus and start following him. And if you are a follower of Christ, you will be investing in others. And now it does give great life. This is life when you see this happening. And Paul said it. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul served. He discipled. He poured out his heart. And he also prayed. That's part of disciple making is praying for your disciples. Because that was his focus, he tells them in verse 13, or he prays for them, may he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. I think that's a great lesson for us. I think as we seek to prepare people for the return of Christ, Let's remember to pray for them (laughs) because we can't do it ourselves. None of us can make a disciple of anyone in our own strength and energy. We need the power of God in us and through us. People focus on so many things for, for more than 30 years. Are you familiar? Have you heard of the Loch Ness monster? For more than 30 years, since 1991, a man named Steve Feltham has been full-time at Loch Ness, searching for the Loch Ness Monster. For 30 years, he quit his job, he sold his house, he purchased a van that he could live in and, quote, pursue his passion. He holds the Guinness World Record for the longest consecutive person searching for the Loch Ness Monster. And he said, the reason I sit here and I try to solve this mystery is because that is what makes, that is what makes my heart sing. My life gives me freedom, adventure, unpredictability. It's a dream come true. Really? That's what makes your heart sing, waiting for some monster? How does that compare with what Paul said made his heart sing? What Paul said makes my heart really live? Life is about finding the right ambition and going after it 100%. I'm thankful that Paul had that ambition. And he said, this is what made me live. (laughs) And God used him to lead people to Christ and found churches who founded other churches and told other people and other people and other people and other people and eventually got to us, right? Suicide bombers give their lives 
because they're convinced for some crazy politics or religion, quote, religion, that they're going to enter paradise when they die. Jehovah's Witnesses labor so they hopefully can be one of the 144,000 who are going to make it into heaven. What they believe to be 144,000. But as Christians, our goals are so much higher. We are driven to honor God by making disciples of others and preparing them for the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, the final reason why discipling people in light of the return of Christ is so important is that the promised return of Christ both encourages and challenges Christians, even in the worst of times. He talked here as we get into chapter 4 and 5. He talked about holiness. They're living a holy life, a pure life. In the first part of chapter 4, he talked about their love. And then he talked about the future hope. That we read, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. This is the future hope. The Lord himself will come down from heaven. The loud command, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we are still alive and are left. We'll be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Thessalonians, it doesn't matter how hard it gets. Know that the Lord is coming back. And encourage yourself with these words. My sister and I did this week have to do a task that we never wanted to do. And that was to write my mom's obituary. You know, they start asking, you know, what, what, what did you remember about her? How would you describe her life? And we, we, you know, we remember the fun times and the funny times. We remembered her characters, her character qualities and how she served the Lord and things like that. And we hope to share some of that on, on Tuesday. But I thought about it afterwards. And I thought about thinking about this message. If the Lord does not come back... Before you and I pass, every single person in this room, somebody's going to write an obituary for them. Now, the Lord could come back before that happens. But if he doesn't, this, this isn't something that's only unique to her because she was 87. Unfortunately, sometimes 17-year-olds have obituaries written about them. And 37-year-olds and 57-year-olds and so forth. And I'll promise you this. <laughs> I knew this, I've known this all my life, but it, it came home again to me very well this week. When that happens, the people that are gathered around you, the people that are remembering you, will not care what kind of car you drove. They won't care what kind of house you lived in. They won't care about the awards you got at work. They won't care about how well you did in school with your grades. Now, mothers do care right now, by the way, kids. But they won't care at that point. They won't care about how much money you made. All that will matter at that point is did you love God? And did you love people? 
I'm so thankful that we have that assurance. My mom loved God and loved people. That's all that matters to the glory of God. I, I remember when I was a kid, <laughs> my dad worked a lot, um, but he also made time for us a lot. A lot of times early on, he had this kind of traveling job. He'd leave on Monday, come back on Friday. But I also remember when I was like in high school sports, uh, especially soccer, because you're out in the open. I played high school soccer. I'm, I, I remember hearing my dad's voice yelling for me. <laughs> um, I remember one time as, a, as I was a kid, he told me, he said, I think it must have been a Saturday. I, I think he had to go to the office. I go to the office for a couple hours. And when I get back, we're going to go play golf. But I need you to clean your room. You work on your room, which that could have been said about my room any day of the year <laughs> growing up. <laughs> clean your room. When I get back, we'll go. But you got to do, do your chores first. So my dad drives off. And as often happened in my growing up, I got distracted. <laughs> there were so many things in my room that could distract you. <laughs> little, little, you know, hot wheel cars and army people and the electric football. Anybody ever have an electric football set, you know, where the men put on their and they run around and they never run straight. They always go around in circles and stuff. I intended to clean my room, but I kind of thought, oh, I'll do it later. I'll get to it. And I got distracted and I started doing all this other stuff. And I always loved it when my dad came home. But maybe one time in my life when I heard that car coming into the driveway, I wasn't really thrilled to see my dad because all of a sudden I looked at my room. And I realized I had not done what he had asked me to do. And I was not prepared for his coming. And I knew there'd be no golf. <laughs> you know, Jesus was here. And he left and he went to heaven. And he said, I'm coming back. And while I'm gone, <laughs> I've got a task for you. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And I want you to love your neighbor as yourself, which means making disciples of them. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I want to be ready when he returns. I want to be found working for him. I want to be ready for him. And I think that's what this is really all about. I think that's what First Thessalonians is all about. Disciple making in light of the return. Jesus is coming. Don't get distracted. There's so many things in life that distract us. That keep us away from following him with a passion. But preparing people for the coming of Jesus Christ is the essence of disciple making. So let me ask you one question. How can you put the word into practice this week? 
Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.